0: This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's BMJ Best Practice podcast on COVID-19. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. In this week's podcast, we're going to focus on some important issues related to vaccination to management of the disease and to management of associated conditions. To tell us how the guidance can help with these issues, we have on the line Dr. Abigail Davies, section editor and GP, and Emma Scott, section editor, who both work on BMJ best practice and BMJ learning. So to start with Emma and vaccinations in the first instance. Emma, tell us about updates to vaccine recommendations for pregnant women in the UK.
2: In mid-April, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation updated their advice and they now recommend that all pregnant women should be offered a COVID-19 vaccine at the same time as the rest of the UK population uh, based on age and clinical risk group. Before that, the recommendation was that only pregnant women with a high clinical risk or high risk of exposure were offered the vaccine. This was because the vaccine clinical trials didn't include pregnant women, so there wasn't any evidence that they weren't effective and safe in pregnancy. But with the uncertainty, uh, routine use in pregnancy wasn't recommended. There has since been limited use in pregnant women in the UK, but real world data from the US where around 90,000 pregnant women have been vaccinated mainly with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, have identified no safety concerns and JCVI have updated their advice.
1: Thanks, Emma. And I wonder what vaccines should be given to pregnant women?
2: Yeah, the JCVI have said that the mRNA vaccines, so Pfizer and Moderna, are the preferred vaccines for pregnant women of any age coming for the first dose, as this is um, where we have the real world data from the US. However, anyone who already had one dose of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine can have their second dose with the same vaccine, unless there was any serious side effect.
1: Okay, thank you. And what about breastfeeding?
2: Yes, breastfeeding women, um, JCBI have said that they can be offered any suitable COVID-19 vaccine.
1: Okay, thank you. That's very clear. And have there been any other updates on any of the other COVID vaccines?
2: Uh, Yes, there have been some updates on the use of the viral vector vaccines. Um, In the US, use of the Johnson Johnson, Johnson-Janssen COVID-19 vaccine was paused for a time in April as the FDA and the CDC reviewed reports of blood clots with low platelets following vaccination. Um, However, use of this vaccine has now resumed and the FDA and CDC have said that the available data show that the vaccine's known and potential benefits outweigh its known and potential risks in people aged 18 and over. Uh, They have advised that women under 50 especially should be made aware of the rare risk of blood clots with low platelets um, and other vaccines are available to them where this risk hasn't been seen. And in the UK, the JCVI have now advised that people aged under 40 um, are preferably offered a vaccine other than Oxford-AstraZeneca. This is a change following the recommendation in early April to offer a preference to those under 30. This is advised, obviously, where alternatives are available and only if it doesn't cause a substantial delay to being vaccinated.
1: Okay, thanks, Emma. That's very helpful and clear. Let's move on to Abigail and the management of other conditions during the pandemic. Um, So, uh, Abigail, there's been a recent study of patients with myocardial infarction during the pandemic. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yes, that's right. There was a study looking at hospital admissions um, for patients who had had an acute myocardial infarction in England between February and May 2020. um, And that was over 73,000 patients in total. The researchers compared this group of patients with the patients who were admitted in that same time period over the three previous consecutive years. Um, And their findings are interesting. So they found that black and minority ethnic patients who were admitted during the pandemic were more likely to present with a STEMI, an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest or cardiogenic shock compared with the pre-pandemic period. Before the pandemic, black and minority ethnic patients experienced longer delays to reperfusion compared with white patients. And this difference became more pronounced during the pandemic. There were researchers also found that black and minority ethnic patients admitted with an NSTEMI during the pandemic were less likely to receive coronary angiography and had a longer median delay to reperfusion compared with white patients. And the in-hospital in 7-day mortality for black and minority ethnic patients was higher during the COVID pandemic compared with the pre-pandemic period.
1: Okay. Thanks, Abby. And there was another study of patients with pre-existing respiratory conditions who develop COVID-19. Can you tell us about this one?
0: So this study looked at patients aged 16 and older who were admitted to hospital with COVID in England, Wales and Scotland between January and August 2020. And in total, there were over 75,000 patients included. And the researchers found that patients with asthma were significantly more likely than those without asthma to receive critical care. And that difference persisted even after adjusting for age, sex, ethnicity obesity, smoking status, and comorbidities, Um, and it wasn't explained by a difference in NEWS2 scores on admission. So, the authors suggest that perhaps clinicians have a lower threshold for admitting people with asthma to intensive care, given their potential to deteriorate very quickly.
1: Thank you. And I wonder, what else did the study find?
0: Well, they looked at mortality among patients with asthma, and they found that only the patients with severe asthma had a significant increase in mortality compared to people without respiratory conditions. And severe asthma was defined as needing a long-acting beta agonist, an inhaled corticosteroid, and at least one other class of asthma medication. Um, Interestingly, they also found that in patients aged 50 years and older, inhaled corticosteroid use Um, in people with asthma was associated with a lower mortality compared with patients without an underlying respiratory condition, Um, but the mechanisms for that are still unclear. They also found that patients aged 50 and older with COPD were significantly less likely to receive critical care um, and had a significantly increased mortality compared with patients without a respiratory condition. But these patients were more likely to receive non invasive ventilation and oxygen. And the researchers felt that the markers they studied probably didn't fully account for patients' frailty when discussions about treatment escalation were held. Um, so it's likely that these, a conscious decision was made that these people wouldn't be suitable for care on the intensive care units.
1: And the Global Initiative for Asthma 2021 report has just been released. Amda, what did they say about the management of asthma during the pandemic?
0: Well, their advice is pretty similar to the 2020 report. Um, They stress that it's really important for patients to keep on taking their regular preventative medication, particularly inhaled and oral corticosteroids, because stopping those suddenly can lead to a worsening of asthma. Alternative treatments, including biological agents, should be considered for patients with severe asthma in order to avoid long-term oral steroid use. And it's really important that all patients have a written asthma action plan and that they know how to modify their medication and how and when to seek medical help in case of an exacerbation. COVID-19 vaccination is recommended for patients with asthma, um, and there should be a gap of at least 14 days between the COVID vaccine and any other vaccine, including influenza vaccine.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Abby and Emma, and thanks to all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, Click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again.